You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. If you go to Matthew and you go backwards three books, you'll find the book of Haggai. And while you're turning there, uh, I'm going to have to come up with a different plan for our pastor's pals. Uh, when, when we used to do the fives, the high fives, they would see how hard they could hit my hand. And some of, some of these little, little rascals, they're tough. I mean, they, they can you know, get, uh, give some power. So I had a few of the boys that were seeing how hard they could hit my elbow. And uh, I'm not too worried about my elbow. I'm kind of worried about theirs, but they are wonderful. I want to welcome, I, I, I should start do, doing this again every service. We did it under the tent, and we did the drive-in and the online, but I want to welcome our folks who are watching the service online, and uh, many are watching. I, uh, I have, I've been in the habit on uh, our online services uh, to always uh, try to share the service uh, on Facebook, and then I'll try to notice uh, who's watching, and that encourages me, and uh, I appreciate so much uh, our faithful folks who are watching online. Thank you to those who are listening uh, tonight by way of radio. And uh, it blesses my heart uh, every week to hear people call or text or email or write a note and say, hey, we've been watching the service. We've been listening. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day when we'll be able to get back uh, where uh, we're able to get everybody back. And that day will come. Uh, but uh, until then, we're going to have a good time. And I'm glad we get to be together tonight. Uh, Brother uh, Graham, you threw me off. I was looking at my phone a minute ago and I shared the service and it said, Ralph Graham is watching the service. And I thought, I just, I knew he was right on that pew a minute ago and you were on the pew. Hallelujah. How about that? I don't know if you caught that. Brother Graham said he's got a watch party. He's high tech. He knows how to do that. He's got a watch party and people all the way from Hawaii, Japan to Alaska are watching the service. And uh, hey, didn't we talk about that this morning? Uh, inviting people to church, let us go into the house of the Lord. And we can now do that by way of uh, the internet, we can do that by way of the radio and uh, praise the Lord. Um, but uh, Brother Graham is gonna get two messages tonight, one in person and one on the computer at the same time. And you got earbuds in or no? No, you're good, okay, all right. So, but well, I'm so thankful we can be together in church. Haggai. Is, a, uh, is an unusual book of the Bible. It is a, a book that uh, the, the writing of this took place after the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity, it uh, took place, and uh, of course, that's where we, we find out about some young men like Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were taken captives into Babylon. But King Nebuchadnezzar, at the time that he came and he took the captives and uh, he destroyed, conquered the city. He destroyed the city. He destroyed the walls of the city. Uh, that's why they had to come back and uh, men like Nehemiah and they had to rebuild the walls. Then there were men like Ezra. There were men like Haggai who we'll read about here who were responsible for and instrumental in the rebuilding of the temple. You see, the temple had been destroyed. Uh, that temple that David had gathered the materials and Solomon had constructed the temple for worship like we talked about this morning, that temple had been destroyed and God's people had been in captivity. And so after captivity, they're coming back to a wasteland. 
They're coming back to a war zone and they're just, they're trying to go through the rubble. They're just trying to pick up the pieces. They're just trying to, uh, to put something together so they can get back to normal. And I know we talked about that last Sunday night. But as they began to build the new temple, something happened. And what happened was they began to compare the new temple that was built with the old temple that had been destroyed. And can I tell you, whenever you start to compare things, you're usually not going to be happy with the outcome. Uh, for, for, for instance, there's always going to be somebody that is smarter than you are. You look far enough and you look uh, long enough, you're going to find somebody that's smarter than you. You're going to find somebody that's got more money than you. You're going to find someone that's got a, a bigger house than you have or got more money in the bank or somebody that's got more ability. That if you start to compare, you're going to find yourself in a mess. As a matter of fact, the enemy of contentment is comparison. And that's why we ought to be content. We ought to be satisfied with the things that God has given us. Uh, we're not satisfied with what we have done for God, but we ought to be satisfied with what God has done for us. And God's people were comparing in Haggai in chapter 2, it says in verse number 3, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jozadek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as we look at this passage of Scripture. And I pray that as we examine this passage, I pray that we, today in 2020, at Victory Baptist Church, I pray that we would have a proper view of God's house. Lord, I think it would be easy to compare now with March. I think it'd be easy to compare now with last June. But Lord, it's, it's a very different time. It's a very different situation. But I pray that we would have a proper perspective and a proper view and a proper vantage point as we look at your house and what you want to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you would correct our spiritual vision and I pray that we would see things as you see things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been much in the, uh, the northwest, especially up in the, the Great Plains states. But uh, I remember uh, as a boy, I remember seeing these signs some, not a lot. Uh, but I remember seeing them some. And then I remember when my wife and I, when we started traveling uh, with uh, the singing groups, like the group this morning was traveling and we would travel uh, all summer long. We'd go from the west coast to the east coast. We'd go from the north to the south and everywhere in between. And we did a lot of traveling. I remember one particular uh, summer when we were going through uh, Montana and South Dakota and uh, Wyoming and some of those states. And how many of you have ever been in those states? Let me see your hand. You know what's there in those states? Nothing. And if you're from there, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just trying to tell, give you an idea of what's there. There's nothing. Uh, there's times, you, there, there's no houses. Uh, there's no cars. There's no towns. There's no gas stations. In some parts, there's no trees. I mean, it is, it's nothing. 
But as you're driving in some of those states especially, you'll see billboards. And some of the billboards are large, some are very small, some are kind of look standard, some look very uh, unique. But you'll see billboards that advertise an attraction. And the attraction that they advertise is a place called Wall Drug. Anybody ever heard of Wall Drug or say you had Brother Charles, Miss Heather, and you've been up in Montana or Wyoming or all of that? Wall Drug. And, and the signs are everywhere. Anybody else ever seen those signs? Caleb, you've seen them. Brother Walter, Joanna, you've seen it. Wall Drug. I remember one time we, we started seeing those signs, and I remember thinking, this must be the place to go because there are signs everywhere. As a matter of fact, I, I looked it up, and in the 1960s, this place has been around for a long time. In the 1960s, they had at least 3,000 road signs in all 50 states. Now, why you have to put one in Alaska and Hawaii advertising wall drug that is located in the middle of South Dakota, I have no idea. But they had 3,000 signs. It started with a man in the 1920s, 1930s, the Great Depression, who had a drugstore. And business was terrible. Business was awful. And so he decided to start putting signs up by the highway, and it would say, stop in for a free cup of cold water. And then it grew from there. And then it became, stop in for a five-cent cup of coffee. And what was a drugstore? It was a drugstore with a, 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 a little a place you could eat and a little place you could buy some souvenirs. It became known around the world because of the advertisement. Now, we stopped one year. And when we stopped, I was sorely disappointed. And I even, I was, I braced myself because I had people say, oh yeah, it's just a, it's a bunch of signs and advertisement and it's just, you know, there's nothing really there. But I, I thought there's no way. There's no way that truly they could advertise so much and there be so little at that destination. You know what is in that region of the country? I don't know if you've ever heard of this place. It's called Mount Rushmore. You know how many billboards and signs you see for Mount Rushmore? None. You know what else is in that region of the country? I think one of the most beautiful areas I've ever seen, it's the Badlands. It, it is beautiful. It is breathtaking. You know how many billboards you see for that? Not many. But you know how many you see for a wall drug? More than you can count. And here's what I'm saying is sometimes we can be disappointed and sometimes we can expect things to be a certain way, and then when our expectations are not met or things do not turn out like what we think they should, we can experience disappointment. That's exactly what was happening in Haggai in his day, in, his, in this book here, is the temple. They were so excited. We're rebuilding the temple, and it's going to be great. And then some people came along, and they said, oh, it's not like it used to be. Oh, Solomon's temple was so much bigger. Solomon's temple was so much nicer. Solomon's temple was so much more elegant. And this new temple, there's not a whole lot here. I don't know how you're feeling right now, but I, I loved so much. I loved the drive-in services. I, I enjoyed it. 
I loved the, the services under the tent. I, I'm not, and I'm not just saying that. I did. I loved it. Right now, the services today, you look around, and by the way, this is a good Sunday night crowd even before uh, the uh, coronavirus. But you look around and say, well, it's not as full as it used to be. And there's not as many people, or there's not as much, you know, this, that, or the other. Can I tell you, I'm just thankful we get to meet. I'm just thankful we get to be back. I'm just thankful that we get to gather and sing and worship and praise God. But if we're not careful, we'll have an improper view of what's really important. I want you to notice quickly in this passage, and I want us to get our, 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 our spiritual vision checked tonight as we view God's house in a proper biblical manner. Number one, I want you to see the mission. The mission is found back in chapter one in verse two. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Verse 3, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Haggai said, Time out. You're saying that it's not time to build the temple, you're saying that you don't have the time and you don't have the ability to build God's house, but you have had plenty of time to build your house. And by the way, that word there where it says sealed, uh, well, how do you spell that? C-I-E-L-E-D. That word means uh, like we would talk about fancy trim, fancy ornate woodworking. He said, you've gotten your houses built and they're fancy and they're beautiful, and they're nice, and they're decorative, and you've had time to do that. But now, 15 years later, and God's house still has not been built. You know what the problem was? They forgot the mission. They forgot what was important. The mission was to build the house of God. God's people made excuses. They had other things they were doing. They were too busy, but the mission had not changed. God had still commanded his people to build his house. He said, Pastor, we've already got a church building. Uh, there's not any building required. Our auditorium is set. Our classrooms are set. Our, 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 our nurseries are set. And, and what are you talking about building the house? Well, Matthew 16, Jesus said that he would build his church. Well, what kind of building are we talking about? Acts 1.8, Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven and he told his disciples, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. He said, I'm sending you out to build my church and build it not with hammer, not with nails, not with wood, not with metal, not with stone. I'm sending you to build my church with people. I'm sending you to reach people so that people can come to know Christ. The church is not the building. The church is the people. And we have a mission. The mission has not changed. We are to build his house. We are to build his church. We are to tell the good news that Jesus still saves. God doesn't need a house. God's not desperate for a place to live. I'll say, I don't want to sound irreverent, but God's not homeless. God's not saying he needs you to build a house because he doesn't have a place. As a matter of fact, the heaven is his throne. 
The earth is his footstool. God doesn't need a house so he has a place to live, but we need God's house for a place where we can worship God and fulfill the mission that he has given us. How do we build the house of God? Uh, how do we build the house of God? One way is by sharing the good news of the gospel. One way is by inviting folks to church. One way is by serving. One way is by encouraging one another. We can build God's church by doing his work. Some Christians, and I hope this is not true of you, but some Christians don't do much building. They would rather tear things down. Can I tell you, anybody can tear something down. As a matter of fact, you just turn on the news and you can see that very quickly. You can burn down a building or tear down a monument that took years and took thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up and you can destroy it overnight. I'll tell you, anybody can destroy a church. Anybody can destroy a Sunday school class. Anybody can tear down a bus route. Anybody can uh, try, to, try to hurt a choir or hurt a ministry. But can I tell you, God's looking for some folks that will build, that will do something constructive for his honor and for his glory. Satan's mission is to destroy. I don't want to be uh, signed up with Satan's demolition crew. I want to be signed up with Jesus' building crew. And I want to build and do something that will last for eternity. I want to thank God's people for what you do to build your Sunday school classes and build your junior church and build your bus ministry and, and build the, uh, the audio and visual uh, ministry and build in a security ministry and build in various ministries. Can I tell you, the building of the ministry, God's work, is the mission. And God's people had forgotten the mission. Number two, the message. I'll go quickly. The message is found in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord. Verse 7, thus saith the Lord. Notice verse number 13. The, then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying. Can I remind us tonight that our message is this book right here. Now, I think, I think it's okay. I think you should be informed as to the news. I think you ought to be informed with what's going on in government. For one reason, it'll help you to know how to vote in November. <laughs> for another reason, it'll help you to know how to pray for your country. I think it's good to be informed. But I want to remind us that our message that we're trying to get to this world is not a political message. Now, you've been around long enough to know that I believe Christians ought to be involved in politics. Absolutely. I think Christians need to let their light shine. I think Christians need to stand up and speak up for the truth. I think we do need to stand up against this movement that is infiltrating our country of godlessness and wickedness and perversion. I think we need to get involved. I think we need to stand. But I want to remind you, when we go back to the message, the message is this book right here. Our message is not a political party. Our message is not a news agency. Our, our message is not from a blog or uh, from a political analyst. But our message is what God has said in his word. This is the only thing that is true. This is the only thing that never changes. This is the thing that you can rely on. It is your manual for living. It is your authority. It is your lamp for your feet and a light for your path. It is powerful. Remember our theme a few years ago. Our theme was the word of God and Boy, we sang, uh, Brother Nathan, it seemed like every Sunday night we'd sing that song. I love the old Bible. And friend, I hope you haven't forgotten what the message is. 
The message is the message of the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus saves. It's the good news. That's our message. Number three, I want you to notice a, a proper view of God's house. We must remember the mission. We must remember the message. But th number three, we must remember the messenger. Verse number 13, Haggai here is referred to as the Lord's messenger. Now, a messenger is just one who delivers the message. The messenger is not the one who originated the message. When I stand up to preach uh, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, I'm not telling you some, I, some neat ideas that I had that I thought of that I you know, think you need to hear. When I stand up with God's help and God's power, I want to tell you exactly what God has told us and exactly what God's word has declared that we must do. That's what Haggai was doing. His message was not popular. His message was direct. His message was a message of challenge and encouragement. As a matter of fact, he caused the people to think. Notice with me, if you would, in Haggai 1.5. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. Haggai said, hey, you need to think about what you're doing. I want to tell you, that's what a preacher's job is. To remind you, hey, you need to think about what you're doing. You need to think about the choices you're making. Brother uh, Caleb mentioned Brother uh, Dan's Sunday school lesson this morning. It was wonderful. It was powerful. And the illustration was so good. But you know what it did? It caused us to think. It caused us to examine our lives and say, am I doing what the Bible tells us, tells me to do? Am I truly following God's message and plan? We must have a messenger. Haggai, I love this. He had help. He had encouragement. Notice in verse number 14, it says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He was the governor. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You know what's so wonderful is Haggai was not on his own. He was the messenger, but God's people helped. And God's people worked with him and he worked with them and they encouraged him. I like what it says in verse 14, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Now, you have in your life, and don't tell me who it is and don't point at the person, but you have somebody in your life who can get you stirred up. That could be good and that could be bad. You've got somebody in your life that can push your buttons. You've got somebody who can uh, irritate you or encourage you, but you've got somebody who can stir you up if and when they want to. You know what I love about this verse? Is these people got stirred up, but God is the one that stirred them up. God stirred them up to do something. God stirred them up. And I want to encourage you tonight, let God stir you up. We get stirred by the news and we get stirred by family and friends and spouses. But how about getting stirred by God to do something great for him? Number four, I see the moving of the spirit. In verses three through nine, we read uh, verses three through uh, five a moment ago. I want you to notice verse five, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt. So, this is God speaking, my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. 
For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. We sang at the beginning, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. God says there's coming a day when I'm going to fill this house with my glory. Now, I understand that this was a prophecy. This was a prophecy, not of the first temple, Solomon's temple, not of the second temple that they had, were working on here in Haggai's day, but this was a prophecy of another temple that's going to be rebuilt, that's going to be constructed, and during the millennial reign of Christ, Jesus will be on the throne, and there will be a temple where the Spirit of God will rest, and the power and the presence of God will rest, and this prophecy says, hey, you may not think this is much, but there's coming a day when I'm going to fill this house with my presence. And can I tell you what we need in our church today? More than we need more programs, and more than we need more of this, and more of that, and more than we need more people, we need more of a moving of the Spirit of God in our lives. You see, they were comparing the old temple and they were just thinking about how pretty it was. They were comparing the old temple and they were thinking about the glory of the house, but not the glory of God. They were focusing on the size. You see, the new temple they were building was not nearly as big as the old one, but they were focused on the size rather than the spirit. They were focused on the people of the house instead of being focused on the presence of God that was needed in that place. They were looking at the physical rather than the spiritual. They were looking at their present rather than the future, rather than the eternal. And lastly, and I'll be done, it's found in Haggai 2 and verses 20 to 23. God has been using Haggai. He's the, he's the messenger. But then in verse number 20, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. That sounds like a pretty crazy time. It sounds like a lot of war and a lot of destruction and a lot of chaos, and God says, I'm going to destroy the kingdoms, and I'm going to destroy the kings. But verse 23, God makes a promise to Zerubbabel. Now, he's not the preacher. He's not the prophet. He's the governor of those who have come back in the remnant for the rebuilding of the temple. It's interesting, though, Zerubbabel was from the line of the kings. Zerubbabel is actually in the genealogy in the book of Matthew. He was a descendant of Joseph. And, of course, Joseph... Uh, was the earthly father figure of Jesus and uh, Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus. But Zerubbabel is mentioned in that genealogy. He's listed in the line of the kings. But it's interesting in verse number 23 that God makes Zerubbabel a very personal and a very powerful promise. He says, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith 
the Lord of hosts. I see, lastly, a proper perspective of God's house is when we recognize who the master really is. The master is none other than God himself. He's the one that's calling the shots. He's the one that's in control. And in the midst of all the chaos, God promised that he would protect his people. He promised specifically that he would take care of Zerubbabel. And he says, Zerubbabel, I want to remind you, you are my servant. So if Zerubbabel's the servant, what does that make God? The master. And I want to remind you, there is something wonderful about just being a servant. Because when you and I are a servant, we don't have to worry about the outcome. We don't have to see the big picture. We don't have to understand it all. We just have to trust that our master, he knows what we're supposed to do. And if we'll just do what he says to do, he's going to take care of it. It's kind of like, and I, I'm not saying that a pastor is the master because that's not true. The pastor is the servant. But I remember when I was an assistant pastor. I remember, first of all, I remember when I was the assistant, when I was an assistant pastor, I remember thinking, you know, it's, it can't be that hard to be a pastor. I mean, seriously. You know, you get up and preach a couple times and you sit in your office and, you know, you, you prop your feet up and, you know, you, you, you call the assistant pastors and give them all the work. I thought, man, it can't be, it can't be that hard. And then I became a pastor. And all of a sudden, there were things that mattered to me, like the offering report every week. You say, how come? Because I'm responsible. You say, it's God's church. I know it's God's church, but, but guess who's going to take the blame if the bills aren't paid? <laughs> guess who's going to fall off the, the platform if the bills aren't paid? And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, there's a whole lot more going on. There's a big picture. And you know what's so nice about being a servant of God? You don't have to worry about all that. And I don't have to worry about all that. We can just trust that he's the master and he's going to take care of it all. And if that's not enough for you, notice the promise that God made to Zerubbabel. He said, Zerubbabel, you're the servant but I'm going to take care of you. He said, I'm going to make you as a signet. Now, we don't use that term a lot today, but a signet, many times it was a ring that the king would wear on his finger. And whenever there was an official document that had to be done or an official decree that was made, the king would take that signet and he would press that signet to seal that, that hot wax or whatever that particular seal was, and he would seal it on that document. So when someone received that document, they could take one look at the seal and say, that is from the king. Well, God said, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like my signet, my seal, my, uh, uh, my, my uh, uh, a sign of authority. I'm going to make you my signet. And what's amazing about a signet is that the king always kept the signet close by. The signet was never lost. The seal was very valuable. It was very protected. You know what God told Zerubbabel? I'm going to keep you close by. I'm going to keep you in my hand. 
I'm going to keep you safe. In the midst of all the chaos in the world, I will take care of you. And friend, I want to remind you, as God's servants, he has promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And God says to Zerubbabel, I'll make you as my signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, I can see why we would want to choose God. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Why would we want to choose God? Well, why wouldn't we want to choose God? He loved us. He gave his son for us. He created us. He, he blesses us. He takes care of us. He's so good to us. I can see why we would want to choose him, but I have no idea why he would choose us. But I'm sure glad he has. And he's chosen you. And he wants to use you. And he wants to use me. And he's given us the privilege that we can serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.